Hello everyone and welcome back to the third and final episode of our podcast. I'm Rev and this is Megan and we are going to cover management of dysarthria and apraxia. Meg, will you start us off with management for dysarthria? With pleasure. So within management um, for dysarthria, there's three categories um, whereby there are further areas um, and these are speaker-oriented treatment speaker-oriented treatment relating to specific types of dysarthria and communication-oriented treatment um, and they'll be discussed further but first it's important to note that even though um, these are placed um, in different headings and the different areas within the different headings um, the types of therapy are not mutually exclusive and multiple approaches to managing dysarthria are usually appropriate and necessary. Can you tell me more about these? With pleasure. So speaker-oriented treatment um, is a form of treatment and then underneath these um, are there's different um, areas, like I said. Um, so firstly, not all management types um, are appropriate for all types of dysarthrias and severities. Um, and there's also value in differential diagnosis as diagnosis implies pathophysiology, which helps determine areas whereby relevant treatment can be implemented. So what areas fall under speaker-orientated management? So the first area is rep uh, respiration. Um, this generally does not require attention in therapy because rep uh, respiration demands are not great for speech and because when you promote other areas such as phonation, resonance, articulation, you promote respiration and airstream as a consequence. Um, the presence of abnormal respiration does not necessarily link to inadequate airstream flow for speech. However, if a patient's respiration is low enough to decrease the amount of words produced per breath, then it requires attention. Um, and then in regards to management, um, management of this includes non-speech respiratory exercises. For example, blowing into a glass manometer to improve respiratory support and subglottal air pressure. And then another task you can do is um, that is speech related would be maximum vowel prolongation, which has both duration and loudness goals. Feedback is given to the patient through a tape recording and they're able to practice exhaling at a rate for several seconds, sometimes with glossal friction um, and eventually voicing to promote respiratory control. Then um, within this, there's also um, prosthetics and then behavior um, like centered um, management. Under prosthetics, um, prosthesis would provide postural support during respiration, um, which can be useful, like for example using a binder or a corset, to enhance posture, support weak abdominal muscles, and improve respiratory support and airflow with reduced effort for people with these difficulties. Um, for example, someone who's had a spinal cord injury. But you do need to get medical approval and supervision for these um, prosthetics. And then regarding behaviour, um, one could practice inhaling more deeply and using more force when they exhale during speech, which may take advantage of elastic recoil, uh, recoil forces of the lungs during expiration in weak patients. Although you need to be cautioned to not breathe in too deeply so as to lead to excessive loudness bursts, rapid air wastage or no functional improvement in speech. So this also requires monitoring um, and supervision. Wow, that's very interesting. Can you tell me more about phonation? With pleasure. So phonation, under phonation, there's, uh, again, so there's a medical treatment, a prosthetics treatment, and then a behavioral management approach. Within medical treatment, um, one could do a laryngeal framework and related laryngeal surgeries um, 
collagen and Teflon injections or a botulinum uh, toxin injection. And then you can also prescribe medications. For prosthetics, um, one could benefit from a portable amplification system where there's a speaker located on the body, bed or chair, and then the voice is transmitted by frequency modulation signal to a speaker at a distance, which reduces activity limitation and it's been found to be quite beneficial. Uh, those who are aphon uh, aphonic excuse me, may benefit from an artificial larynx. Um, and then patients with movement difficulties would benefit from a neck brace to stabilize the head or neck during speech. And then regarding behavior, so the primary goal of behavior management is to increase the utterance length per breath and to obtain loudness levels that are appropriate to social contexts. So patients with a unilateral or bilateral vocal fold weakness would benefit from effort closure techniques such as grunting, coughing or pushing. These maximize vocal fold adduction and can improve vocal fold strength. Um, these patients would also benefit from initiating phonation at the beginning of exhalations to reduce air wastage and fatigue and to increase loudness. Other patients may find turning the head to the left or right as an effective strategy to improve loudness and voice quality because this decreases tension in the weak vocal fold. For example, an example of a, a program that can be implemented would be the Lee Silverman voice treatment, which includes exercises that improve voice quality and strength. Wow, can you tell me more about resonance? Sure. So, for resonance, um, it's important to manage velopharyngeal inadequacy. Um, to ensure that excessive nasal airflow does not occur. So to decide or to, to determine this, you would occlude the nares um, and then compare the, the voice before and after. And then again, there's surgical prosthetics and behavioral management. Um, under surgical, one could implement a pharyngeal flap surgery to manage this uh, velopharyngeal incompetence. For prosthetics, one would implement a palatal lift prosthetic um, prosthesis to manage this dysarthria and this consists of a palatal portion that is attached to the teeth and a lift portion that extends posteriorly to lift the palate in the direction of the velopharyngeal closure but you require adequate dentition for this fitting and then for behavioral management uh, many believe that patients with severe and chronic velopharyngeal impairment which leads to dysarthria do not benefit from um, behavioral interventions. So what about articulation? For articulation, behavior is the main form of management for those um, that have such difficulties. But surgical management um, includes a neural anastomosis and Botox injections. Um, for prosthetics, um, management includes a bite block to assist patients whose jaw control is disproportionately impaired. And then regarding behavior, like I mentioned initially, um, this focuses on strength training, relaxation, stretching, and instrumental biofeedback. Strengthening is where one strengthens the articulators to improve articulation, such as opening the jaw, closing the jaw, pushing the jaw forward against resistance, rounding the lips, puffing the lips, spreading the lips, etc. This is used for patients with non-progressive flaccid dysarthria. Relaxation exercises are used to improve muscle tone in patients with spasticity or rigidity. For example, shaking the head and jaw to create lateral movements of the jaw to loosen such for movements of speech. And then stretching reduces motion-sensitive symptoms of spasticity. It's recommended to be slow, steady, and continuous. And then lastly, instrumental biofeedback can assist in improving hypertonicity and spasticity in the articulatory muscles. So an example of this would be an electromyogram biofeedback. Um, and this has been shown to be effective in improving um, what was mentioned. But you can also use traditional approaches to articulation therapy. Wow, that's really interesting. So how would one manage rates? So... 
Rage is important to manage, um, and um, it is the most powerful behaviorally modifiable variable in improving one's intelligibility of speech. So modifying rates, um, generally in reducing one's rates, is used with dysarthric speakers to increase timing coordination, which allows for a full range of movements um, and improves linguistic phrasing. There are many ways to reduce rates, which includes prosthetic devices such as delayed auditory feedback or DAF, or natural methods such as hand or finger tapping in pace with syllable production, using visual feedback from a screen or rhythmic cueing whereby a, clin a clinician points to a word in a paragraph or sentence in a rhythmic fashion to pace the patient. Tell me more about management relating to prosody and naturalness. So, relating to prosody and naturalness, um, working on prosody can be appropriate at all severity levels, with the goal being to maximize naturalness, which is the overall adequacy of prosody. So examples of management techniques of such include working at the level of the breath group, which includes chunking utterances into natural syntactic units and contrastive stress tasks, whereby scripted responses can be used to improve the naturalness of prosody. Thank you for that, Meg. That was so interesting. So can you tell me more about speaker-orientated management in relation to specific dysarthria types? I know we have flaccid, spastic, ataxic, hypokinetic, hyperkinetic, unilateral upper motor neuron and mix. With pleasure. So under speak-oriented, like you just said, for specific dysarthria types, there are all those types. So first we'll speak about flaccid. Um, so flaccid relates to a weakness, so strengthening is the primary management goal. So treatments are aimed at the respiratory, phonatory and articulatory components of speech, as well as increasing speech breathing. Examples include pushing-pulling exercises to increase respiratory support, postural adjustments and prosthetic aids, for example, abdominal trussing. Surgeries such as medialization, laryngoplasty, um, arytenoid adduction surgery and Teflon injections can also be used. Within spastic dysarthria, one would implement re relaxation exercises as well as stretching exercises. For ataxic dysarthria, this would be behaviorally focused with activities focused on improving or compensating for difficulties related to motor control and coordination. One would also modify the rates and prosody um, as, as important um, management goals um, to improve intelligibility. For hyperkinetic, one could implement Lee Silverman voice treatment, which focuses on the voice and attempts to modify laryngeal pathophysiology through exercise to increase loudness and decrease breathiness, for example, using DAF and pacing boards. For hyperkinetic, um, this is primarily surgical. Um, then for unilateral upper motor neuron, there are no formal reports of treatment for this. Um, and patients are not usually candidates for prosthetics or surgery. And then lastly, for mixed, you would um, target the different dysarthrias um, present, um, but you must be um, conscious of contraindicated treatments. And why would one conduct communication-orientated management? Can you tell me more about that? With pleasure. So, so communication-oriented treatment is generally independent of the dysarthria type, and it's more strongly tied to the individual's communication needs and the degree of their disability. So there's three different um, types. So there's speaker strategies, listener strategies, and interaction strategies. Under uh, speaker strategies, different management uh, or tactics could be to prepare listeners with alerting signals, convey how communication should take place, set the context and identify the topic, use gesturing, monitor listening comprehension, and then using an alphabet board where needed. Within uh, listener strategies, one could maintain eye contact, listen actively, and modify the physical environment. And then under interaction strategies, one could maintain eye contact, identify breakdowns to establish methods for feedback, repair these breakdowns, and then select a conducive speaking environment.
Okay, so that was all about dysarthrias. It was a bit of a mouthful. Uh, but Riv is now going to speak about apraxia. So Riv, how would one manage apraxia of speech? So firstly, it's important to distinguish between the different types of apraxia, namely acquired versus developmental apraxia. This is important as the treatment and management of these apraxias may vary, though it is said that they are very similar. First, we will cover developmental apraxia of speech. So management of developmental apraxia may involve one or several approaches. There's not a single procedure for management that is recognized as the procedure of choice. So what are the different types of therapy for developmental apraxia? So therapy, therapy for developmental apraxia includes traditional articulation training procedures and specific training techniques. These techniques are used to aid articulatory skills that have not emerged from the traditional articulation training. So the type of therapy for developmental apraxia of speech includes adapted cueing technique, melodic intonation therapy, the PROMPT system, which uses prompts for restructuring oral muscular phonetic targets, total communication, touch cue system, and STP, which is sound target phoneme approach. So these methods all use imitation, auditory visual stimuli, phonetic placement, and motor repetition as strategies to aid the patient. And later on, I'll go into that a bit more detail. So ear training and auditory discrimination drills are said to work well with developmental apraxia of speech, but it's important to note that auditory discrimination skills should not be relied upon. So what are the different therapy principles for developmental apraxia of speech? So the main therapy principles include acquisition of as normal volitional speech as physiological limitations will allow, emphasizing mo movement sequences, generating tasks according to the phonetic principles, limiting the number of stimuli presented to the patient, intensive, frequent and systematic drills, use of visual modalities, and facilitating response adequacy with the use of intonation, stress, rhythm, and motor movements. So similar principles underlie management for acquired apraxia of speech and include concentrated drill work, imitation of sustained vowels and consonants followed by the production of simple syllable shapes, movement patterns and sequences of sounds, avoidance of auditory discrimination drills, as well as slow rate, self-monitoring, the use of core vocabulary words and carrier phrases in therapy. Wow, that's so interesting. And what are the different um, therapy strategies for acquired and developmental apraxia of speech? So therapy strategies recommended for both acquired and developmental apraxia of speech include using mirror work and imitation of tongue and lip movements, imitation of sustained vowels with exaggerated lip movements, imitation of visible consonants, the use of diphthongs paired with consonants to introduce stress and intonation patterns, imitation of CVC shapes, the use of carrier phrases, as mentioned earlier, self-monitoring, um, and slowing of speech rates. So therapy activities for both apraxias need to be directed to improve speech intelligibility, right? So to achieve this, teach frequently occurring consonants, start with voiceless sounds, then move to voice sounds, and use simple whole syllables and words in therapy. Also, aid the patient to produce a slow rate of speech and associate tactile and visual stimuli with sounds to make it easier for your patient. You can also reinforce the continuity of sounds and use your knowledge as an SLP of phonetics to teach your patient sounds and words. Also note that vowel production interferes with intelligibility, so maybe target this earlier on in therapy to aid your patient. 
Research emphasizes the importance of incorporating visual stimuli into therapy. This is because in developmental, in developmental practice of speech, children respond better to phonetic placement rather than just relying on auditory stimuli and input. Therefore, incorporate mirror work and placement into therapy to aid your outcomes. So this is where the touch cue therapy approach would be helpful to incorporate. The therapy approach is arranged into three stages with specific activities for each stage. The PROMP system, which stands for Prompts for Restructuring Oral Muscular Phonetic Targets, uses an adaptation of phonetic placement procedures. The approach utilizes tactile stimuli and phonetic placement to aid articulation. The Wisconsin General Test Apparatus is also effective in providing feedback for correct responses. And also melodic intonation therapy is said to work well with adults who have a praxia of speech. This approach incorporates music into therapy and is said to have a good outcome for people with apraxia of speech. Another approach used for both children and adults with apraxia of speech is total communication. What this does is it combines speech with all modes of communication and mainly uses gestures and sign language to aid communication. Can you tell me more about acquired apraxia of speech and therapy goals for that? So for acquired apraxia of speech, therapy goals are designed to improve communication effectiveness. For mildly apraxic patients, poor prosody may be the primary deficit, and therefore goals around improving intonation and stress may be appropriate to implement into a therapy. But for moderately or severely apraxic patients, the focus might lie on relearning oral postures for individual speech sounds. General techniques for acquired apraxia of speech include using traditional articulation therapy, finger tapping or pacing, as well as the use of alternative augmentative communication devices and compensatory strategies, including gesturing, writing, and communication books. To use if the apraxia of speech is very severe, this can really help. So prompt, as described earlier, helps patients with their rate and rhythm control and helps improve their speech. Another key approach focuses on the remediation of misarticulated consonants through modeling, repetition, graphic cues, and phonetic placement cueing. So it's therefore evident that those slightly distinctive therapy for developmental apraxia and acquired apraxia of speech are quite similar. And I hope that this discussion made it easier for, to understand how we as SLPs approach management for apraxia of speech. Thank you so much for listening to our last podcast. Uh, we won't see you next week, but we hope you enjoyed. Thank you for coming on this journey with us. And we hope you learned something amazing. Goodbye. Thank you so much. Bye.